anytime there's an issue that is difficult for us, the right question to ask, no matter what the issue, would be what is written. As God's people, we want to know what God has to say about anything. And so we ask that right question. We go to the Word of God and we find out what is written. And uh, we've been going through a series now for the last uh, few weeks called Male and Female, What is Written? And we've been looking at modern-day issues, particularly the LBGQ um, issues, that movement, that lifestyle, all the different aspects of it, and just asking the question, not getting on a soapbox and, and saying things that just pop out of our mind, but asking the question, what is written? What does the Word of God say about what's going on in the area of sexuality in our culture and in the world? And uh, as we've gone through the series, we've gone back to the beginning because that's a good place to go back to, how things started, God's intention from the beginning on this subject. So we went back to Genesis, and we have seen that, as some of our songs have reminded us today, that God is the sovereign creator. He created all. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He created mankind. He created human beings. And he created them male and female, the scripture tells us. It was a binary creation. That's it. Male and female. And then he designed what we know of as marriage. Genesis chapter 2. God designed marriage. And clearly his design at the beginning was that marriage would be this, this covenant, this special relationship between a man and a woman. One man, one woman, united in marriage. And then he gave them a wedding gift. The sexual relationship. The one flesh relationship intended by design to be only for a man and a woman in their marriage relationship. And those things that we saw from the beginning, as you go through the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, become consistent. They don't change. As you go through the scriptures, those things I just reminded you of never change. You go through the New Testament. Those things never change. God is the creator. He created mankind, male and female. He designed marriage. He created that relationship. It's always been one man, one woman throughout Scripture. Never changed. Consistent. And his plan for the sexual relationship remains consistent, never changes throughout Scripture. 
In fact, Scripture consistently tells us that any sexual relations outside that marriage relationship are considered sexual immorality because they violate God's design for this gift he gave to a man and a woman within their marriage. And so we talked about all all of those things. And last week we talked about holy sexuality. How do we live as God's people with these bodies he has given us in the area of sexuality? And we found out that we are to glorify God with these bodies. These bodies that he has given us matter to him. And when we follow his design concerning our bodies, he's glorified. He's honored. He is pleased. So now today we wrap up the series. And uh, we're going to talk about a very difficult time for all of us. A very difficult situation that has probably already come up for all of us, or at least most of us. And that's when we hear the news. When someone shares the news with us about a choice they've made. And it's difficult. It might be a family member. It might be a friend. And it's a difficult time to know what to do, what to say. It's difficult as time goes on. What to do, what to say, how to respond, how to relate. And so I feel it's important to end this series after seeing what is written about the subject to talk about how do we respond. And so that's what we're going to look at. Um, You know, the news might be someone simply saying something like, I can't keep it secret any longer. You need to know I'm gay. What do we do? What do we say? How do we respond? Or someone says, you know, I don't want to be a girl anymore. From now on, I want you to call me Brad, not Barbara. What do we do? What do we say? What's our response? Or someone comes to us and says, you need to know that I have chosen to transition. I don't think I was meant to be a guy. I'm going to be a woman. What do we do? What do we say? How do we respond? Uh, Here's one situation that that occurred. This really happened. Uh, There was a, a son who came to his mother one day, and he made that announcement. He let his mom know the news. After the fact, he said, I want you to know, Mom, that I'm gay. I'm in love with another man, and we are moving into an apartment together. And after her initial shock and panic, she made an interesting statement, and I want you to listen carefully to what she said. She said, 
how can you do such a terrible thing? Why can't you be normal like your brother? He has a steady girlfriend, and they have a baby on the way. Did you catch the irony in that? The lifestyle that her son who is sharing with her has chosen, she is calling a terrible thing. Abnormal. The lifestyle that her other son has chosen, which Scripture says is also sexual immorality, right? She calls normal. Why can't you be like him? That's not a rare thing. And unfortunately, we as Christians have become guilty of doing what this mother has done. Choosing certain sinful behavior, lifestyles, and somehow seeing them as terrible and abhorrent, which then causes us to see other sinful lifestyles as normal and almost okay. And that's one of the temptations that we as Christians have to really resist when it comes to our response to the things we've been talking about. What I'm going to do today, you'll notice on your study sheet, um, I'm just going to share two things. As far as our response when we hear the news. First, an important example to consider in our response. And obviously it's the example of Jesus. How would Jesus respond? And we don't even have to ask how would he respond. We can ask how did Jesus respond? Because we can go back to what is written and see how Jesus responded. And then I'm just going to toss out very quickly some guidelines that I think are based on Scripture as to how we can respond to what's going on, especially when we personally hear the news. So, let's start with the the example of Jesus. Turn with me to John chapter 1. Gospel of John, the first chapter. And uh, just one verse, verse 14. John opens his gospel talking about the Word and... Many of us know that eventually as we go down through the passage, we find out the word is Jesus. Okay? So in verse 14, he says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, and here it is, full 
two things. Jesus came full of grace and truth. Full of grace, undeserved kindness, and truth. Jesus was full of both. Jesus lived out both of those qualities. He he knew when to show grace. He knew when to speak and stand on truth. And often he proved to us that the two can take place together. They can be companions in the same situation. Grace and truth. And he set an example for us. I mean, we could go through the Gospels and we could see examples of Jesus full of grace and truth. Expressing those things in situations. For instance... Uh, We're not going to take time to look at them. You can look at them. Uh, One would be when he had that conversation at a well with a Samaritan woman who was also an immoral woman. She was living in sexual immorality with a man. Jesus knew it. He brings it up. But if you read that conversation he has, first of all, it's interesting. He was willing to have a conversation with a Samaritan which most Jews wouldn't have done. He was willing to show her grace and converse with her instead of avoiding her and telling her to leave. He also was willing to have a conversation with a woman who in that culture was looked down on, unfortunately, by the men. And you probably shouldn't have a conversation with a woman especially a Samaritan woman. But also, she was an immoral woman. That's why she was at the well alone. Nobody wanted to be around her because of her lifestyle. And yet Jesus had a conversation. And if you read that conversation, you see two things coming out of Jesus. You see grace, undeserved kindness, but you see truth. He speaks truth to her. Full of grace and truth. In John chapter 8, you have the record of the Pharisees, those wonderfully holy guys, right? They bring this woman caught in adultery to Jesus. How did they catch her in adultery? Anyway, they caught her in adultery, brought her to Jesus. They were right. She had committed adultery, sexual sin. And they challenged Jesus. They remind him of what the law says about adultery. And that, according to that, this woman should be stoned. And they want to see what Jesus is going to do. You remember the story, right? Before he says anything, he gets down on the ground. He starts writing something in the sand. And then he gets up and he says, Whoever of you has no sin, let him be the first one to start throwing stones. And he goes back down to write some more. And as they hear that statement, okay, the one without sin, be the first to throw the stone. It says they all drop their stones 
and they began to walk away one at a time. And there's an interesting comment made. They walked away beginning with the older ones. There's one place where the, the elders had some wisdom. And so they walk away. Remember what Jesus says to the woman? She says, he says, where are your accusers? She says, they're gone. And he makes this statement, and it's a statement of grace and truth, right? It's not one or the other, it's both. It's that connection that proves it's possible. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go and what? Sin no more. He spoke truth. Go and sin no more. He spoke grace. Neither do I condemn you. Then, we can look at a number of of situations where Jesus got in trouble because he would spend time with tax collectors and sinners. It's interesting in the Gospels that you have that little phrase, tax collectors and sinners. It's like the Jews gave tax collectors their own category of sin. In fact, back then somebody could have said, it's terrible that you as a Jew would be a tax collector for the Romans. Why can't you be normal like these other sinners who don't work for the Romans? You see the tie-in with the woman? They, they took one sin that was so bad, working for the Romans, tax collector, cheat, and gave it its own category as though it was worse than all these other sins. But Jesus got in trouble for spending time with tax gatherers and sinners. He would eat with them. And in that culture, that was a no-no. I mean, that was not something you did. You didn't eat with tax collectors. You didn't eat with sinners. Because eating with them communicated your interest in them. That you welcomed them as part of your life. You were willing to be with them. You were giving them attention. That was wrong based on who they were and what they were doing. And you can read those texts in your uh, study sheet. And Jesus did this often. Did he condone what these people were doing? No, he didn't. Most of the time, in his time with these people, he spoke truth. But he also showed grace. Jesus becomes an example to us of how to respond in situations that deal with sin, deal with sexual sin, grace and truth. Let me just ask you this question. Have you think about it? You had Jesus and you had the Pharisees and the scribes, the religious leaders. Different approaches to sinners. Different approaches to those involved in sexual immorality. Here's my question. Which approach tended to lead more toward changed lives? 
How many lives of sinners were changed because of the approach of the religious leaders? Rejection, condemnation, wanting nothing to do with them. How many lives were changed because of Jesus' approach? Grace and truth. So when we, uh, when we hear the news, what do we do? What do we say? How do we relate to people from that point on? Well, one thing we can do is ask the question, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus say? What did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? He is our model, right? In any situation. So, as we think about our response, make sure that's in, in the picture. Consider following Jesus' example. Now let me just give you quickly uh, a bunch of guidelines, some things that you can consider in your response. First of all, remember they are not the enemy. They are not the enemy. How do I know that? It is written. Ephesians chapter 6. Verse 12. Ephesians 6, 12. This is what is written in the Word of God. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People. But against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. The person who makes this announcement to you, the person who makes this statement to you about whatever aspect of sexuality it is, they are not the enemy. They are under the control of the enemy. They are being deceived by the enemy. They are being confused by the enemy. But they are not the enemy. Our struggle is against spiritual forces of wickedness that are behind what's going on. So, just remember that. They're not the enemy. When you decide what to do and what to say. Second, avoid extremes. Extremes have never made a situation better. Avoid extremes. Which would mean, on one side, you have total condemnation and rejection because of what you've just heard from that person and their choice. Condemnation and rejection. On the other extreme... You have approval and affirmation. Affirmation is a big word today. But that's on the extreme. Approval, affirmation. 
Grace and truth, the example of Jesus, is somewhere between those two. That's where we have to land. Avoid the extremes. Next. Just a short one word, but it's so important in many situations, including this. Pause. Pause. When you hear the news, pause. At least a few seconds. A few minutes. Uh, James chapter 1. James 1, verse 19. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen. Slow to speak. And slow to become angry. What do most people do when they hear the news in these situations? They speak and they get angry. What is written? Be quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. If you turn to Proverbs, Proverbs has so much about the importance of pausing. Uh, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse 28. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. Friends, when we respond to the news, let's not gush with evil. Let's weigh how we're going to respond. Think about it. Pause. Chapter 18, Proverbs 18. Verse 2. Fools find no pleasure in understanding, but delight in airing their own opinions. Maybe before airing our own opinions immediately, we should take time to listen and get some understanding. Verse 13. To answer before listening, that is folly and shame. Verse 15, the heart of the discerning acquires knowledge, for the ears of the wise seek it out. Think before you speak, before you do anything. Listen. Seek to understand, gain some knowledge, then respond. One of the things when we're pausing, I think, is that we have to quickly, and you can do this quickly, is remind yourself, who is this that's announcing this to me? Is it family? Is it friend? Is it an unbeliever? Is it a believer? Is it a child? Is it a teenager? 
isn't an adult. How we respond might be affected by those things. It's wise to pause a moment to think about that. Based on who they are, how am I going to respond? Well, the next one says, ask questions. This is part of the listening. This is the part of the understanding. This is the part of gaining knowledge, seeking knowledge. Ask questions. Does anybody remember Columbo, the TV show? Trench coat, cigar, detective. Every week he solved crimes in 50 minutes. If you count the commercials, about 50 minutes. Columbo was known for something he would say to almost every criminal. What he would say is, do you mind if I ask you some questions? Do you mind if I ask you some questions? It's called the Columbo Plan. Part of listening, gaining knowledge and understanding in any situation, including the ones we're talking about, is to ask questions. And in the Colombo plan, there are three basic questions. And they can be used in any subject, any situation. But here they are. First question. What do you mean by that? In other words, when you say you're gay... What do you mean by that? Help me understand. Because you're not going to get the same answer from everybody. So you want to know what this person means. One possible answer you'll get is they have no clue what it means. But it's a way of listening and understanding and gaining knowledge. Can I ask you a question? When you say you're transitioning, what do you mean by that? What are you thinking? Help me understand. Really good question. Columbo would ask it. Second question. It's a follow-up. How did you come to this? I'm interested. How, how, this is a big decision. This is a big choice. How did you come to this? Could you explain to me? How you came to make this decision. That's going to give you a lot of information. That's going to help you in how you're going to respond down the road as time goes on. It's a part of listening and gaining knowledge and understanding. How did you come to this decision? It's such a big choice. I'd really be interested in knowing how you came to this. And then the third question. Because this has already led to some conversation, the third question that Columbo would ask is, let's just say that down the road, situations take place and and you decide that maybe this wasn't the right choice. What do you think the consequences will be? 
Now, with that question, you're listening and gaining understanding and knowledge. But the other thing you're doing is probably having them think about something they never thought of in their decision making. What if down the road I realized that wasn't a good choice? What might be the consequences by then? And you can ask other questions. And those will lead into conversation. But it's part of listening. It's part of understanding this particular situation and gaining knowledge, which then, as you try to follow the example of Jesus, you have some understanding. Ask questions. Follow the Colombo plan. Number five, leave the stones on the ground and check for logs. When you hear the news, don't pick up stones to throw. That won't help anything. Leave the stones on the ground. And like Jesus said in Matthew 7, remember there might be a log in your eye. Not one of those Pharisees was willing to admit they weren't sinners. Right? He who has no sin, throw the first stone. They at least had the wisdom to acknowledge they had sin. So like Jesus says, before you judge somebody, check your own eye. Make sure there isn't a log there, some sexual sin going on in your life of a different kind, but still violates what is written. Stand firm, number six, on what is written. There's the truth part. We need to stand firm on the truth of God's Word. We've looked at it in the last weeks. I was just reading this morning where a guy says, it's not complicated what God says. What God says on these sexual subjects is not something you have to have a college degree to figure out. The words are pretty clear. Now, there are some other teachings in Scripture that are kind of difficult to figure out. But you have to admit what God says in His Word about sexual sin and sexuality, it's pretty clear. So know what is written and stand firm. On what is written. Speak truth. Jesus spoke truth. He stood firm. He didn't compromise. But he stood firm in a grace-filled way, how he expressed it. Um, now, this is a different situation. But do you remember when... Jesus came before Pilate during his, his trial, before his crucifixion. Do you remember what Pilate's belief was by the time he was done talking to Jesus? He worded it this way. I find no fault in him. You remember that? After talking to Jesus, Pilate believed that there was nothing in Jesus that warranted execution. That's what he believed. 
you know what Scripture says? It said to satisfy the crowd, he gave him over to be crucified. Friends, find out what is written in God's Word on this subject. Stand firm on it. Do not compromise. Do not be shaken by the crowd. Do not be like Pilate. Being afraid of the crowd, he went against what he believed. Many Christians do that on these issues. So we've got to find that that balance. Yes, grace and these other things, these other guidelines. But also know what is written and stand firm. Speak truth. And hopefully we've helped you in the last weeks to see what is written. Now you have to decide if you're going to believe that and stand firm because it's God's truth. And you're not going to compromise out of fear of the crowd, fear of the culture, fear of what people will think. Practice the right principles. And what I mean by this is it's important for us when it comes to what we do or what we say to do or say the right thing. That's very important. The right thing. But to do or say it at the right time, because there's a time that's better than others for things we do or say. And to do or say it in the right way, we blow it there sometimes. And do it or say it with the right reason, the right motive. That's just practical. Think about what's the right thing to do or say here. Is it the right time? I want to do it or say it in the right way. And I want to make sure my heart is right. That I have the right motives. That's just some practical guidance for us. Um, let, Let me mention this. There's a saying that Christians like to use, and I've heard it in these situations of sexuality. I love the sinner, but I hate the sin. We've probably all used that, right? And we've probably even said it to somebody when we find something out about them. Or they make an announcement. And we mumble around and we kind of stammer and we say, well, you know, I still love you. But I hate the sin you're involved in. Can you come up with the chapter and verse for that one? Did you know that most people, when they hear that, I love you, but I hate your sin? All they hear is the butt. They feel the butt. 
I love you. But I hate your sin. And in this area of sexuality, whether it has to do with the, the whole uh, uh, gay thing or it has to do with the transgender thing, if you've noticed, in many cases, if not most, it's all about identity. Right? They hear, you hear the word identity. To them, it's about who they are. And, and so if I say, you know, I love you, but I hate your sin, what they hear and what they feel is, you hate me. Because they equate what we call sin, what the Bible calls sin, with who they are, their identity. So here's your little guideline. Don't say that to people. But do it. You don't have to announce it to them. That's going to come back to bite you. But you can do it. You can keep loving them and hating their sin. Just don't say it. It's not going to help down the road. Because in these particular um, uh, situations, identity is so wrapped up. And really, they're finding identity in the wrong place. That's what they're doing. But still, it's important to them. They think they've found it, which is sad. So, do or say the right thing, right time, in the right way. With the right heart. Keep the door open. When we hear the news in this area from people about their choice, their lifestyle choice, it's so easy to want to shut the door. We just want to shut the door on the relationship. Sometimes we just want to slam the door. want nothing to do with what they're doing, and we want nothing to do with them. And so we shut the door, the relationship door. What's the danger of that? We hear testimonies all the time about people who have been caught up in the LGBTQ lifestyle and movement for years. And then God did something in their lives or God brought them to a low point where they realize that they can't continue, that there's something wrong with it, they need help. And they try to go through a list of people they could go to for that help. And they have to keep crossing out names because those people so many years ago shut the door. Wanted nothing to do with them. And they have a hard time finding somebody who had kept the door open relationally. Didn't agree with them. Made it known. But still kept the door open. 
They need someone to go to at that point. Um, Pray. Be devoted to prayer. Be anxious for nothing. In all things, pray. Make your requests known. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. And so Paul says at the end of that instruction, pray. It's part of spiritual warfare. And Jesus said to his disciples, never stop praying. Persevere in prayer. Christopher Yuan, who wrote the book Holy Sexuality that I made reference to last week, prior to that book, wrote a story wrote a book about his story um, and his journey in the gay lifestyle for eight years. He says that his mother prayed for him every day for eight years. Do the math, 365 times eight, I don't know what that is. She prayed, she didn't agree, she made it known. With his lifestyle choice. But she prayed for him every day for eight years. And get this, on top of that, he received a card from her every other day for eight years. And part of that time he was in jail, the last while, before he picked up a Bible in jail because he was bored. And God did a work in his heart through that, changed his life. For eight years, he received a card from his mom every other day. Eight years. Do the math, whatever that is. It's a lot of cards. And he said every card had some kind of encouraging message, either a Bible verse or some encouraging message. And then the only thing she wrote in those cards was, love you forever, mom. And he said for the first few years, he never even opened them. He threw them. But as the eight years went on, God apparently was doing some work in his life. He was experiencing the consequences of his choice. And he started opening these cards, this pile of cards he'd been getting every other day. Love you forever, Mom. See, friends, the real issue isn't so much sexuality in these cases. I mean, if we're, if we're categorizing it, that's where we're putting it. Sexual sin, right? It's the area of sexuality. But really, when you get down to it, the real issue isn't sexuality. It's the heart. It's the heart. Something's going on. In the heart. Why can I say that? Well, it is written. Mark chapter 7. We'll close with this. Mark chapter 7. Words of Jesus. Written down by Mark for us to read for all time. 
Mark 7:20. Jesus went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Notice the next thing on the list that comes from the heart. Sexual immorality. Theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, etc. Verse 23, all these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's not so much a sexuality issue. That's kind of how it's displayed and acted out. But Jesus says sexual immorality comes from the heart. Something is not right there. Something isn't right. Is it outright rebellion? Is it deception? Is it confusion? Is it what is it? But it's from the heart, Jesus says. Now, why is that important? And why does that go along with praying for the person that has made an announcement to you? It's important because you need to know you cannot convict or change that person. You cannot bring conviction to their life. And you cannot change their life. Because it's a heart thing. And only God can convict the heart and change the heart. We understand that, right? That's why we need to pray. That's why we need to follow these guidelines. That's why we need to follow the example of Jesus. We cannot change their heart. And that's where it's coming from. They need Jesus. Jesus needs to be in control of their heart. He needs to be the king on the throne that we sang about today. That will bring the change. And it's a change we cannot make happen. But we can pray. We can follow the example of Jesus, grace and truth. We can try to practice these principles, these guidelines, and then we pray, and we pray, and we pray. So that's what we're going to do before we leave today. We're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to, we're just going to have a silent time of prayer. And I can't believe how silent you've been. I can't remember the last Sunday where I could hear a pin drop. Um, but thank you for that. I hope it's because you want to know what to do. You want to know what to say. You want to know how to relate. And I hope it's because you want to follow the example of Jesus. And you want to follow biblical guidelines. Even in this area. So, here's what we're going to do. Two suggestions. We're going to have a silent time of prayer. And I'm going to ask you, and this won't be hard for most of us, if there's a person in your life who has chosen to be caught up in some part of the LGBTQ movement, lifestyle, 
It might be a family member. It might be a friend. Don't know. But for most of us, we can come up with a name, right? So I want you to pray for them. Pray for them, not against them. Pray for them. And then I want you to pray for yourself and ask God to show you and empower you to have the attitude and to do the things and say the things in the situation, in your relationship with this person that would follow the example of Jesus and the biblical guidelines. And for some, it might mean opening a door that you have closed. But you see, the answer to your prayers might be God someday bringing them to you because your door's open. Wouldn't that be wonderful? So, let's pray. Pray by name for that person. If there's someone in your life you know caught up in this lifestyle, or maybe you know somebody that's contemplating, considering it, pray for them. And don't stop praying. And then pray for yourself, however you need to word it, to ask God to help you in your responses, in your relating, in your attitude, what you say, what you do. Let's pray. Well, Father, this is such a difficult area right now. And, Father, it touches us. It touches people we care about. There's so much pressure all around us. Father, I pray that you would take what we've learned these weeks as we've seen what is written in your word. And I pray that those of us who believe your word is truth and who choose to stand on your word would learn how to respond like Jesus. Help us to learn that connection, Father, between grace and truth. Help us to firmly stand on the truth, Lord. We need your spirit in us to do that. To know how to speak that truth. To know when to speak that truth. And Father, give us the power to show grace when that's needed. And to keep the door open. 
Father, there are people who have been freed and have come to you out of this lifestyle because some Christian out there had an open door and was there to help. Father, I pray that that would be many of us. We'd love it if it were us. So, Jesus, help us, empower us, show each one of us the next steps we have to take in this. And at the same time, help us to live a life of holy sexuality in our own lives. To bring glory to you, honor to you, to do your will concerning the bodies you have given us. That you chose to give us. Help us. We want to be a light in this world, Lord, but we want to be a light in the right way. That will bring glory to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.